I mentioned this morning that without a good grasp of the basics, it doesn't really matter what you're involved in, it's not going to go very well. If you don't understand the fundamentals, then nothing else really matters. <clears throat> and as I mentioned this morning, one of the kind of sad things is that when it comes to religion, a lot of people don't understand the basics. They don't understand the fundamentals. And this morning we were looking at the subject of grace. And as I mentioned there in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, a lot of people like to claim that we're saved by grace alone. But there Paul says you're saved by grace through faith. It takes faith in order for grace to operate. <clears throat> so what I wanted to do uh, this afternoon is look at the subject of faith. Because faith is another one of those things that people oftentimes just don't understand properly. Uh, they have a, a mistaken idea of what faith actually is. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard was uh, the man who popularized the idea of a blind leap of faith. When it came to religion, he said that evidence could only take you so far, but then you were going to have to take that blind leap into the dark. In other words, in his mind, and, and it's a popular view uh, among a lot of people, faith is believing something without any evidence at all or believing in something when the evidence tells you otherwise. You just forget about the evidence completely. You say, yes, that's what it says, but I choose to believe something else. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not blind. Biblical faith is based on evidence. We can look at the evidence, and if we, if we think about it rationally, if we think about it without any preconceived ideas or letting somebody you know, blind us with their ideas of the way things ought to be, we can come to the proper conclusion. Now there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now again, you know, what, what does somebody do who, who teaches that uh, salvation is by grace alone? When the Hebrew writer says you cannot possibly please God without faith. So faith has got to be added to the mix. But he says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he describes what he's talking about. He says, for the one who comes to God must, number one, believe that he is. You have to believe that God exists. And... You have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, implied in that is, is that if you believe that God is, and you believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, then you will be one of those people who diligently seek God. You will seek God to know more about him. You will seek God to know more about what he wants you to do. And you'll do it diligently. It's not something that's, that's haphazard. It's not something that's half-hearted. You're going to work at it. But you believe that God is, that he exists, and you believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Now, this requires something of us. One of the things that, that is, is interesting that most people will remove from their definition of faith, and that's action. <clears throat> they don't believe that faith really has to do anything. And, and it, that is uh, especially surprising to me since in James chapter 2, James spends half the chapter talking about how that is absolutely not the case. He says faith requires action. And he says, you, you believe that there is one God. This is verse 19, James chapter 2. You do well. That's great. Wonderful. You believe that there's one God. But he says, even the demons believe and tremble. He says, how, how does just a simple belief in God make you any better than the demons if you're not going to add action to belief? And he goes on through and, and proves his point. Verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't do anything. And there is the biblical definition of faith. It is not just belief, but it's a belief that makes you do something. You believe something so strongly that it is going to force you to act. You're going to do something because of that belief. You know, there are a lot of things that we believe that really don't have much of an effect on us. You know, we don't do anything because of it. It doesn't change us in any material way. But when you're talking about biblical faith, when you're talking about believing in God, when you talk about believing in Jesus the Christ, when you talk about believing that the Bible is the revealed will of God, that must make you do something. It has to affect you in that way. So you have to believe that God is, and you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what this means to us is that there are things that we have to do. We have to be active as Christians. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things that I find, you go down through this most of this chapter and you find uh, these bits and pieces of things where Paul is saying that there are, are things we need to do and things we need to be careful of. First off in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. That's the first thing that he's going to tell us. If you want to have a true biblical faith, you have to be careful not to let someone lead you astray. And that is especially, I think, an important topic today. You know, I used to hear people say, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Well, these days, I don't know if you can even believe anything you see. You know, there is misinformation about everything everywhere you know people used to say well how can you tell if a politician's lying his lips are moving well now his lips don't even have to move you can't believe the the mainstream media you can't believe a lot of the religious leaders you can't believe a lot of the things that people tell you so paul here says let no one deceive you with empty words your your faith cannot be dependent on someone else your faith has to be yours personally. You know, I mentioned this morning something about an inherited faith. And, and that, unfortunately, is the kind of faith that a lot of people have. Why are you what you are? 
most people would say, well, this is the way I was raised. I was raised in the church, so to speak. You know, you go and ask people who are members of the Baptist Church or the Church of God or they're Catholics or Episcopalians or Mormons or Methodists or whatever, and they're going to tell you exactly the same thing. I am what I am because this is the way I was raised. Well, do you have any personal conviction? Well, yeah, I guess, maybe, possibly. They don't have any personal conviction. They haven't gone into God's word. They haven't studied it for themselves. They haven't looked to see if it's true or not. You know, it's an unsettling thing when somebody starts questioning some of your fundamental beliefs. It's a very unsettling thing. And our immediate reaction is to deny that whatever they're saying is true. Now, wait a minute, that can't be true. I've heard this all my life. How can it not be true? That's what I've always been told. How can it not be true? And then sometimes they'll point out, well, this is why. I ran into that a lot years ago. I remember talking about the the role of women in the church once upon a time. And they said, well, you know, women are not to have leadership roles in the church. And I said, oh, that's just a social thing. You know, society at that time, you know, women weren't supposed to have these kind of roles. And so they, you know, they just put that on the church for the time, but it doesn't apply now. Times have changed. That doesn't apply anymore. They said, well, why do you say that? What do you mean, why do I say that? It's just what I've always heard. Well, do you ever read what it says in the Bible about it? No. Well, let's get a Bible and look. And we got a Bible and I looked. It says because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Eve was deceived. I thought, oh. So all my life I've been told one thing, and now when I actually read it for myself, it wasn't true. It's unsettling. It, it bothers you when you find things like that. But that's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, and I'm not, I'm not saying this just to people who may believe things that denominational groups say, we need to do this too. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, Paul says, test all things. Hold fast that which is good. You test it. You examine it to see if it's true or not. People can deceive you. Now, it's not always because they have some evil ulterior motive. Sometimes they're just repeating what they've always heard. They've been taught this all their life, and they go around and they parrot it right back at other people. This is what it is. Well, how do you know? Because that's what I've always heard. And they'll tell other people who will tell other people and so on and so forth. Sometimes they're not evil. They're just mistaken. Sometimes they are evil. They're doing it for for one reason or another. Usually it's for a profit motive. You know, if you tell people what they want to hear, they'll pay you to do it. Look at any any of the big uh, TV evangelists. You know, that's essentially their stock and trade. Tell you what you want to hear. As long as they do that, somebody will pay them to do it. But Paul said, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Does it stand the test of God's word or does it not? 
But in uh, verse 6 there in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, let no one deceive you. Deceit is one of those things that is, is hard to avoid sometimes. But you find all kinds of, of, of warnings against it in Scripture. Don't blindly take someone else's word about some of these things. First John chapter 3 and verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Jesus in Matthew 24 verse 4, take heed that no one deceives you. Don't let people deceive you. You know, you don't automatically assume that they're lying to you, but don't automatically assume that they're telling you the truth either. Check to see which it is. You know, in, in Acts chapter 17 in verse 11, you, you, we read about the, uh, uh, the Bereans. And they, they were a really unusual bunch of people. You know, you, we don't hear very much about them, but what we do know is the Apostle Paul had to leave Thessalonica. A lot of the Jews there did not like the kind of things he was teaching, uh, and they let that be known. They were causing all kinds of trouble. So Paul had to leave Thessalonica, and he went to Berea. And like his usual custom was, he went into the synagogues to teach. You know, in the synagogues, you had Jews who already believed in the one true God. They were already familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul was already halfway there. He was halfway where he wanted to be because he could use those scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. So he goes to Berea and he begins to teach these people. And what does it say? They listened with all readiness. They listened. Now, to the Jew, what Paul was saying was really, really hard to swallow because Paul was telling them that it wasn't just the Jews that were God's chosen people. Gentiles could be acceptable to God too, and they didn't like that idea. There was nobody as prejudiced as a Jew back then. But they listened. They said, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never heard this doctrine before. This is something really strange to us, but we'll listen to you. We'll give you a fair hearing. And then what they do? They search the scriptures daily to see if what they were being told was true. Now, if there, if there is a pattern anywhere for us to follow, that's it. Listen with an open mind and then search the scriptures to see if you're being told the truth or not. That's what they did. And because of that, it says in the very next verse, therefore many of them believed. They listened to Paul. They searched the scriptures to see if he was telling them the truth. They decided he was, so they believed. Good pattern to follow. But we have to be very, very careful not to be deceived. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to be personally active. In verse 8, there in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, verse 9 is, is, is a, a parenthetical statement. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And uh, the main thought picks up again in verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So if you look at the, at the, uh, uh, the passage of interest to us, the very last part of verse 8 and verse 10, walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's his main point. 
walk or live your life as a habit as children of light. What do you do? Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And how are you going to do that? You have to go to his revealed word to find it. Because that's what's going to tell us. So we have to be active, personally active, in finding these things out. What is acceptable to the Lord? What does God want me to do? I've oftentimes said that when you, when you think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 about some things that we can know about God just from looking at the creation around us, I have often wondered how can you have people that are, are you know, astrophysicists and things like that. They're supposed to be really, really smart people, and they look at the universe around us, and then they say they don't believe in God. You know, how can somebody that smart be so dumb? Sometimes I think you only get that dumb by being really educated. Because most people would look, and they would say, well, you know, this couldn't have happened by accident. It had to have been made by somebody. And when you look at Romans chapter 1, and he talks about us knowing something about God, something about his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, when you look at creation around you, you can know some things about God. The next question that should occur to you is, what does he want from me? If there is, is a being out there who created all of this, how should I react to him? What should I do? What does he want from me? And if you really, really want to know what God wants you to do, you'll have the opportunity to learn it. In John 7, 17, Jesus said, if any man wills to do his will, he'll know of the doctrine, whether I speak on, on my own authority or whether it's from God. If you want to know, sincerely, honestly want to know, God will give you the opportunity to learn it. Now, he's not going to miraculously give you the knowledge, but through his providence, he will put you in touch with somebody who can teach you what you want to know. Or he'll put you in touch with something that will teach you what you want to know. If you really, really want to know. If you will to do his will. If you really want to do it. You'll look, you'll search, you'll find out. You know, Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> this is one of those things. Jesus is talking about uh, what people need to be doing, oftentimes aren't doing. And he's talking about the goodness of God. When he talks about, you know, if, if you want to know, ask. Ask what God wants you to do. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He says you have to be active. You have to ask. God does not force himself on anyone. He's not going to turn you away, but he's not going to force you to believe. He's not going to force you to be a Christian. That's what he wants, but he leaves the choice up to you. You get to choose. It's one of those things. I heard a guy preach a sermon one time. I thought it was a really good one where he talked about you get to choose what you do, but you don't get to choose the consequences that come along with it. Every choice you make in life has consequences. There are things that happen as a result of the choices that we make. When we make the choice, we automatically get the consequences with it. 
We can't say, I want to do this, but I don't want to have that happen to me because of it. It comes along with it. He says, you get to choose the choice, but you don't get to choose the consequences. Well, we have to, have to choose to do what God wants. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. But what if you don't ask? What if you don't seek? What if you don't knock? If you are not active in searching out God's will, God is not going to force it on you. You get to make the choice. Well, I'm not going to be active. I'm not going to look for this. And God will say, I'm sorry, but if that's what you want, that's what I'll let you do. You know, there, there are two, uh, two options Really, either we say to God, your will be done, and we do it, or God will sadly say to us, your will be done. He won't like it. God is not willing that any should perish. But if that's the choice we make, then that's what he'll let us do. But we have to ask, we have to seek, we have to knock. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. He says, giving all diligence. You have to work at it. It's something that's going to take you some time. It's going to take you some effort. You're going to have to work at it. Now, back over in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise. Understand the will of the Lord. Now, one of the things about this is, is he is saying that the will of the Lord for us is understandable. You know, some people look at the Bible and they say, well, that's just too complicated. You know, everybody is going to get something different out of it. Everybody teaches something different about it. You know, everybody's just free to pick and choose whichever one they, they want. You know, years ago, I, I haven't seen this in, I don't know, it's been quite a while now. Sometimes I think about things like this, and it, it's starting to make me feel old. But, you know, used to, you'd see on, on television, a lot of the time, they'd say, attend the church of your choice. We really don't care where you go. Just pick something out and go. Well, these days, you can attend the church of your choice. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you practice. It doesn't matter what you want to do. You can find somebody out there that teaches it. Guaranteed. So just attend the church of your choice. You get to choose. Well, Paul says, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And we can. And he says, if you don't, you're unwise. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk circumspectly. I like that word. You know, take, taking words and, and looking at them and kind of pulling them apart is kind of an interesting thing. And circumspectly is a really neat one. Because the first part of that, and I'm talking about the English. I'm not going to get into the Latin or the Greek. But in the first part of that, when he's talking about circum, he's talking about around. You know, you circumnavigate the globe, you went all the way around it. So he's talking about looking all around. That's what the spectly means, you know, spectator. Uh, you're looking at something, but you're looking all around. 
In other words, you're aware of what's going on around you. You know, if you ever go, you know, sometimes the sheriff's department puts on these, these self-defense classes for ladies, sometimes for guys too, even though guys all just automatically think they know everything there is to know about the subject, and most of the time they're wrong. But anyway, if you go to a self-defense class, I guarantee you, if it's any good, the very first thing that they will talk about is situational awareness. In other words, be aware of what's going on around you. The idea is, is it's a whole lot, or, a whole lot easier to stay out of trouble than it is to get out of trouble once you find yourself in it. You know, and if you're walking out of the store and you're going to your car at night and you're keeping an eye out around you and you see somebody that's kind of loitering over there, kind of suspicious looking, you might think, hmm, they might be up to no good. I think I'm going to go back in the store and wait until some more people come out and I'll come out with them. Or I'll go in and I'll, I'll call the police and have them come and ask that guy what he's doing. You know, but you see it before you find yourself in it. And that's exactly what that word means. Walk circumspectly. Walk being aware of what's going on around you. Find trouble first so you can stay out of it. Don't find yourself in a situation where it's like, oh no, how did this happen? How did I end up here? You know, see trouble before it gets there. If you see a source of temptation, you can avoid it. And then you don't have to deal with it. That's the easiest thing to do. But he says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you understand what the will of the Lord is? You go into his revealed word and you study it. And he tells you. God has told us everything we need to know. It's all in this book. It's one of those things I, I have said to people a time or two. I said, imagine that you were going to college maybe high school, whatever. But anyway, you really want to pass the course. And the teacher stands up and says, we're not going to do a bunch of lecturing or blackboard work or anything like that in this class. Everything you need to know is in this book. If you, if you read this book, you learn this book, you understand this book, then you are going to pass this test with flying colors. Won't be a problem at all. All you've got to do is read the book, understand it, and give it all back to me when the test comes around. If you really want to pass the course, what are you going to do? You're going to take the book home and you're going to study it. You're going to learn it. So when the test comes around, you can say, okay, I know the answers to all of these things. Well, what do you expect is going to happen if you never spend any time reading the book? You're going to fail. And if that happens, you evidently were not that interested in passing the course. And that is essentially what God has done for us. He has given us his word. It tells us everything we need to do. All we've got to do is read it, study it, and learn it. And we can do what we're supposed to do. If we do that, we'll understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, it's one of those things, and I've, I've mentioned this to people before. There, there are things in the Bible that you are not going to get no matter how long you live, you can be studying the Bible the day you die and you're 105 and you'll learn something new. But the things that are really necessary for us to know, things that are necessary for our salvation are not that hard. They're really not. 
you know, there's, there's meat of the word, there is milk of the word. Most of the salvation uh, really urgent things are easy. They're not hard. And to, to misunderstand them, you have to want to misunderstand them, which is the, the position that a lot of people in the denominational world find themselves. They really didn't want to understand what God had to say. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. So when they read it, they misunderstand it because that's what they wanted to do. That's the way they wanted to understand it. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We have to want to look into God's word. We have to want to, to learn it. We have to want to do what he wants us to do. You know, we have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's how faith is built. It's built by studying God's word. Now, what do people do? Sometimes when they're presented with the truth, they don't really like it. They ignore it. They go on their merry way. One of the things that uh, has always been one of the saddest uh, places in Scripture, to my way of thinking, is John chapter 12. In verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I don't know of a sadder statement anywhere. They believed in him. They knew who Jesus was. There wasn't a doubt in their mind. He's the Messiah. But they kept thinking, you know, if we, if we admit to that, they're going to kick us out of the synagogue. You know, we're, we're, we're buddies with all of these influential people, and they're not going to have anything to do with us anymore. And we just can't face that. We can't face the, the perspective that people are going to think less of us because of a choice that we've made. Short-term gain for long-term loss is always a fool's bargain, and that's what they were doing. We are going to maintain... Our, our, the, the respect that some of these people have for us, but we're going to be lost eternally because of it. You know, short-term gain, long-term loss. They knew who he was, but they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, so they wouldn't confess him. Sometimes, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, Peter talks about people who will twist the scriptures to their own destruction. They see what it says, and they'll try to make it say something else. And that's why you have to be a person who is individually, actively involved in studying it yourself. Don't be dependent on someone else. You know, you, you, you can't put, you know, your, your, your possible eternal fate off on somebody else. You know, that, that, that's an idea that scares me. If, if I want something done and it's really, really important, if I am capable of doing it at all, I will do it myself. You know, you've heard that, that saying, you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Well, if, if I know at all what I'm doing, I'll do it myself, because I trust me, and sometimes that trust is misplaced. But I'll do it myself if I can, because, you know, the other guy may be having a bad day, Maybe he just really doesn't like me and he's going to mess it up on purpose. 
or maybe his attention is going to get distracted at, at a real critical time and he's going to mess it up. Maybe he's going to do it wrong. Maybe he says he knows what he's doing and he really doesn't. If I do it myself, I don't have to worry about any of that. We need to do it ourselves. Yes, it is great to have, have faithful preachers and Bible class teachers. It's great to have commentaries, uh, concordances, things like that, that we can use to help us. But we don't need to put all the responsibility off on that. We need to be individually active in building our own faith because you can't always trust the other guy. How many people do you think are going to be in the judgment and are going to be seriously, seriously surprised when they find out they're lost who were followers of Billy Graham? Bunches of them. But, but, but uh, Brother Billy Graham told me, well, he told you wrong. If you follow a blind leader, you fall in the ditch. Don't rely on others. Put your own effort into it. Build your own faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It may be that there's someone here this afternoon that needs to be obedient to the gospel of Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've been given another opportunity to come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God so that you can be baptized, have your sins washed away. Or it might be that you're an erring child of God. You've done something that has separated you from God. God's given you another opportunity. What you need to do is go to him in prayer, confess the sin to him from a, a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well, so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it might be that you just need to come here and, and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.